of that. On Christmas Eve, we're going to have a service here at 6 o'clock, and that'll be a family service, so that's kids and all of the craziness that that brings. So 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve, and then starting in January, January 11th, that's a Sunday, for eight weeks we're going to do um, a marriage course. It's called the Alpha Marriage Course. We're going to do it here. Uh, we're really excited about it. It's a big deal, and I would say if you're married, you need to come. I don't, doesn't, I'm not, however strong your marriage is, whatever. If you're married, you need to come. It's good. Really helpful. It's going to be $30 per, per couple. We'll have child care. There'll be food. It'll be really good. So starting January 11th, so just kind of, that sounds like a long time away because it's in 2009, but it's coming. So just kind of lock that away, and uh, we'll be talking some more about that as it gets closer. Jeff and Emily, y'all have a microphone? She might, though. She's not going to talk. Okay. This Jeff and Emily battles. Emily actually is the one who's done the work, but Jeff apparently is going to take the credit for what his daughter has done. So uh, they just want to share a little bit about some of the uh, tradition, I guess, that Emily started a couple of years ago. So you guys go ahead. Can you all hear me? All right. For those of you all who know me, I'm a little nervous, so bear with me because I don't like the center of the, the center of the <laughs> But now I am honored to be up here. I've heard a lot of people sharing what they did for Christmas, and I've heard a lot of neat ideas that I would really like to implement in our family. But I want to talk about Emily. Um, I'm extremely proud of her. About three years ago, she was watching the Children's Health Care of Atlanta Parade, and she was watching it, and, and the Lord stirred in her heart a desire to get involved with these kids. And this is, like I said, I, I'm really not going to take credit. It had nothing to do with me. Um, she had it in her heart to start a party, have a party every Christmas, and invite people to bring gifts. And then while at the party, the kids that came, she wanted to get with them and create something for the ones in the hospital. Like last year, they created some cards and wrote things on there and gave the cards out and everything. This year, she came up with an even better idea. I just think it's amazing what she, how creative she is uh, with these kind of things. But she's a great little hostess, too. Um, but this year, they created... They got pillowcases and they sat there and put designs on there. Now there are some rules that the the hospital has about your face. I mean, you know, as you can imagine, the, the hospitals are very diverse, and um, people who come in there and the staff are, you know, they're very diverse as well. However, there were some of the kids that managed to slip some things in there, crosses, and you know, have a blessed, you know, time, all this kind of stuff, and they accepted. like that. Cards are nice, but the pillowcase is really awesome. So she's been doing that for the last three years, and I just think it's an awesome idea. It's her idea, and I just felt honored to be up here and talk. She's, you know, as you can tell, very <laughs> much talking is a bit tall. <laughs> so thank you very much for allowing us yeah. the opportunity to be up here and share. But that's what we do. Excellent. If y'all remember what we've been saying that we're trying to do, we're not necessarily pushing any particular cause. We're just saying, whatever you're going to do for Christmas, just do it on purpose. And there are other ways of celebrating Christmas than some of the typical ways that we're kind of, the typical maybe channels that we run down. So that's all that that's about, is just encouraging you to think about what's the best way to honor what Christmas is about. And uh, this is the third Sunday of Advent, as Catherine said. And really the focus of the third week is joy. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, this is Psalm 126.3. You heard it earlier. The Lord has done great things for us, 
and we are filled with joy. So my question is just very simply, are you filled with joy? And that's just your gut level reaction. That's the right answer. Whatever your initial reaction is, we don't want to get too technical on what is joy versus happiness and all that. Just when I say that question, are you filled with joy? What's your first response? And that probably is the truth. I will give you a definition of joy from the Bible. Biblically, joy is a state of great delight or happiness that's rooted in a conscious relationship with God. A state of great delight or happiness that's rooted in a conscious relationship with God. Let me give you just a few things on joy, and then we'll kind of get into what I want to talk about this morning just real quick. One, I would say that if you're a Christian, God has promised you joy. John 15, 11, Jesus says, my desire is for your joy to be complete. So if you're a Christian, that's, that's part of the package. You know, we've, we've talked about Christmas, and the whole deal with Christmas is gifts. That's the, that's the underlying theme in Christmas. It's all about giving and receiving gifts. This is part of the package. It's one of the gifts God wants to give you if you're a Christian is joy. So if your answer to that is no, I'm not filled with joy, but you are a Christian, you've left a present under the tree. There's something there for you that you have not opened yet. That's part of your inheritance that you, God is giving you. So that's one. Second, you can be joyful in any circumstances. I think it's 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Um, Paul says, be joyful always which doesn't make a lot of sense to us. How can we be joyful when things aren't going well? And that's kind of where that definition comes into play, that joy is a state of great delight or happiness that's rooted in a conscious relationship with God. It's not rooted in our circumstances. And your relationship with God shouldn't at least change with your circumstances. You're rolling with God when things are good and you hate him when things are bad or whatever. Your relationship with God should be pretty steady through good times and through bad times, and that's where your joy is founded. It's in that relationship, not your circumstances. God never commands us how to feel. He commands us how to be. And joy is not an emotion. There is an emotional component to it, but it's deeper than that. It's a state of being. And that's how Paul can say, be joyful always. And this is a guy who was arrested, and he was beat, and he was stoned, and he was whipped, and he was shipwrecked. It wasn't like he lived this picture-perfect life. And he's saying, be joyful always. And he can say that because joy is rooted in your relationship with God, and that can be constant no matter what is going on. And the third thing I would say is joy is not an optional extra. Uh, Galatians 5.23, Paul's listing the fruit of the Spirit, and it's love, joy. Joy's number two on the list. And those fruit, there's nine of them. It's the, that's, what, that's who Jesus is. That's the character of Jesus. And the expectation is, if we're Christians, that we're becoming like him. So God expects us to have that same character. Joy is not just for cheerleaders and used car salesmen. We all need that. That's, it's a mark of what it means to be a Christian. So again, if your answer to that question is no, I'm not filled with joy, that's not just, uh, well, I'm not that, I'm a serious person or I'm an introvert or that's, I'm not emotional. No, those are just excuses. God expect, God is a joyful God and he expects us as his people to reflect his character. So we need to be a joyful people. That doesn't mean you have to smile all the time, but it means that on the whole, we should be people who are marked by joy, by this great, this state of great delight and happiness rooted in a conscious relationship with God. So we're going to get into that a bit. Let me rewind. Um, my, my junior year of college, fall of my junior year, I started thinking about my future. I just changed majors. I had an internship over that summer, and I liked what I did, and I thought, this is the direction I'm going to go. And so I started praying about what's next for me. And part of that was, well, uh, was marriage. I wasn't dating anybody, and I wondered, you know, if I should get married and how all that should work. And so over the course of the fall of my junior year, I just 
started praying. And this thought came into my head one day, kind of early in the fall quarter, and it was that I, I just, this thought, you'll be married in June of your senior year. And I thought, well, that's nice and neat, and that works out well. But I didn't really do anything with that. I just, whatever. And I, as I kept praying, that thought kept popping into my head. And I don't know if that's ever happened for you. Maybe there's something you were specifically asking God or just something you pray about in general, and you just kind of have an idea that you can't really shake. And that's kind of what this was for me. It was this idea that I couldn't shake. And over the course of maybe four to six weeks, I was convinced that, you know what, that's God telling me that's, I don't need to worry about that, that that's going to take care of itself. So that was fall of my junior year. And by the end of that fall quarter, I'd kind of become convinced in my own mind, at least, that God was saying I would get married in June of the next year. June of 97 is when it would be, when I, my senior year of college. So fast forward. June 1st, 1997. It's a Sunday. I remember the day very clearly. June 1st, 1997. It's a Sunday. Sunday afternoon, and there's a knock on my door. And I go and I open the door. I live in a house with seven other guys. And I, be, I was happened to be the guy closest to the door. And so I open it, and there's this beautiful woman standing there. It's her. And so I open the door, and she says, is your name David? And I said, yeah. And she said, this might sound weird, but I'm going to marry you. And I said, what? And she was beautiful, so I didn't shut the door. So we said, I said, what? And she said, I'm about to graduate in two weeks, and um, I've been praying about my future. And on Thursday night, I had a dream. And in my dream, I saw this house, and I went up to the house, and I knocked on the door, and I opened it, and there was a guy in a tuxedo. And I said, why are you wearing a tuxedo? And he said, because I'm getting married. And she said, well, who are you marrying? And he said, I'm marrying you. And I looked down, and I was wearing a wedding dress. And then I said, what's your name? He said, my name's David, and then I woke up. So I had that dream on Thursday. didn't do anything with it. Or no, I had that dream on Wednesday. I didn't do anything with it on Thursday. I had the same dream on Thursday night and thought, you know, I need to find this house. So this is, this is her talking. She drove around all day Friday looking for this house, couldn't find it. Same dream Friday night, wakes up Saturday, drives all around Athens on Saturday looking for this house, doesn't find it. Same dream Saturday night. Wakes up Sunday, drives around, then she finds this house on Sunday. She said, I was driving down the street. This is the house that I saw in my dream. And so she comes to the door and knocks, and I answer it. And she says, "That's I woke up at this point every time, so I'm hoping you know what to do next. And we got married. <laughs> we got married on June 15th of 1997. Now, who is anybody going to say that's a miracle? Anybody? That's a great thing that God has done. Let me tell you what really happened. <laughs> this is what really happened. The beginning is true. Junior year of college, I prayed that, felt like the Lord said, you're going to marry somebody in June of your senior year, and that was good. And so I kind of had rested with that. And then in January of my junior year, I, there was a girl, and I was not her, who I started going out with, and we went out for a little bit, and then we broke up. Actually, she broke up with me for the... Full disclosure here, so that was wonderful for me. So I did that, and it wasn't good. And um, I was leading a Bible study with a with a girl, and her best friend was Misty. And one night when we were leading this small group, Misty came over and we met. And it turned out we, we went to the same campus ministry. It was pretty big. There were several hundred people there. And we went to the same campus ministry. And for the next four weeks, we talked after the services of this thing. We talked for four weeks, and then I called, and I told her I was going to ask her out, and if she wanted to say no, she needed to be ready to say no, because the next time I saw her, this is what I was going to do, and so 
I did. That's true. And so the next time I saw her, I asked her out, and either she was a chicken or whatever, but she said yes, and we went out one time, and then she spent the summer in Martha's Vineyard, and we wrote letters. This was pre-email days, pre-cell phone, all that. We wrote handwritten long letters to each other, and I called her on her house phone where she, she lived with a group of folks in Martha's Vineyard, the payphone in town. So we did that through the summer, and then she came back in the fall, and we dated for 10 weeks, and we got engaged in uh, December, and we got married on June 15th of 1997. That story's not as good, is it? It's just normal. It's not miraculous. Nobody makes a movie about that story. It's just, it's just regular. Then I think that's an issue. When we read Psalm 126.3, it says, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. There's a, there's a connection there between God doing great things and our joy. The, set, the context of this is the people of Israel are being returned from exile, which we don't get. It was a huge deal. About 70 years before, the Babylonians had come in and wiped them out and sent them into exile, which basically is saying, we're taking all of you people and we're spreading you out all over our empire so you will not be a people anymore. That way you'll intermix with all these other people and there will be no nation of Israel anymore. There won't be any more Jews because you're all going to mix and intermarry. And 70 years later, the kingdom had turned over, and a guy named Cyrus, who was the king, wrote a letter and said, let all the Jews go home. It's a huge deal. Just let them go home. Let them be a country again. Basically, what he's saying is, this was a country who was an enemy. We're just going to let them reconstitute. It's, that doesn't happen. It was a great thing, and that's what they're talking about, this great thing God has done, and they're filled with joy because they're coming home. And when... I think about my life, and maybe when you think about yours, I don't have a lot of those. I don't have a lot of these, like it's just, it was regular. We met the same way most of you who are married met. You, you meet, make, most likely through a friend, and you date for a little bit, and she keeps saying yes, so at some point you propose, and she says yes, and then you get, and that's just how it works. And it's, it, it doesn't seem like a great thing. It's just a regular thing. It's a, it's a normal thing. Nobody makes a movie about normal things and we miss a lot of what God does and I would say one of the reasons we struggle in general with joy I was thinking about this how many people do I know who I would say they are filled with joy and it's not tons of people and I'm not one of them I think a lot of it is because I don't recognize and maybe you don't recognize the great things that God has done if we had more stories like the first one I told it'd be easy because that obviously is God someone shows up on your door and you marry him in two weeks, and you've had all... I mean, that's, there's no way around that unless somebody's crazy to say, that was God. That was a miracle. And those are easy. Miracles, by definition, fill us with joy. A miracle is an event that God does. It's an action God undertakes that surpasses or supersedes the normal capacities of humanity and nature. It's something that supersedes the normal capacities of humanity and nature. We can't explain it. I'm in a basketball league. I have a basketball game tomorrow night. Say I blow out my knee, which is probably not going to happen because I can jump about like that. So the chances of me hurting myself are very slim. But let's say that happens. And I go to the doctor on Tuesday, and they give me the MRI, and it's shredded and torn ACL and the whole thing. And I come here for prayer on Tuesday night, and somebody prays for me. And it feels better, but I'm not sure. I'm supposed to go back to the doctor at the end of the week when the swelling goes down to make sure. I go back in. I get a second MRI, and they're like, it's, there's nothing wrong. Whatever, everything we saw was torn, is not torn, everything's back together, good as new. That's a miracle. That supersedes 
the capacities of humanity and nature. And those kind of things fill us with awe and joy because there's no, nothing to say other than God did that. Let's say the same thing happens. Blow up my knee tomorrow night. I go get the MRI on Tuesday. I come for prayer on Tuesday night. They pray I be healed. I go back on Friday for the follow-up. It's still messed up. I get the surgery. I do the rehab. A year later, I'm back up and running. I've been healed. But I don't know if I see that as a great thing. It's just a regular thing. I can look at the doctors who did it, and I might thank God for my insurance company or the physical therapist or something like that, but do I really see that as a great thing that fills me with joy? I just kind of see that as a normal thing. Well, that's what happens. Whether I was a Christian or not, I could have gone to the doctor and they would have done all these same things and it would have worked out. And so it doesn't really fill me with joy. And what I want us to see this morning is great miracles are great things, but all great things are not necessarily miracles. God is a great God. So by definition, anything he does is great. His character infuses his actions. Let's say this grape juice is God. This is 100% pure grape juice. So this is God, and his actions are when I pour it. So his act, because he is great, what he does is great. So this, by definition, is a great work because it came from a great God. Got it? Now, we are not that way. God is pure. Some people say he's simple in that there, he's not, there's not parts to him. He's just one. Again, he's, he's pure. So when he's great, he's 100% great. There's nothing else. Not 99.9% pure. He's the full thing. We're not that way. We're some mixture of righteous and unrighteous, good and evil, mixture of motives, spirit, flesh. We're a, we're a mixture. So if this... This is what it is when I do something. I can't hold three glasses at once. So this is what it is when I do it. There's a mixture. It still looks kind of the same, a little weaker. It's going to taste a lot different. This is pure great because it came from God. This is a mixture because it came from me. And I'm a mixture of what's good and what's not good. I'm a mixture of spirit and flesh, righteousness, unrighteousness, good, evil, however You want to say that God is not that way. Therefore, by definition, everything he does is great because there's no mixture in him. And you can play that out with all of his attributes. By definition, everything he does is loving because he is love. It's righteous because he is righteous. It's holy because he is holy. There's no it doesn't work that way for us because we're mixed or you could say we're corrupt. If you like that word better. We're not pure the way God is. So for God, who he is. It's what he does that you can draw an equal sign. You can't do that for us. It's more or less for us. It's not equals. So therefore, everything God does is great because he is great. He can't do things that aren't great because that's all he is. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's nothing less than great. Therefore, he can't do things that are less than great. So anything in your life that you would be willing to say God has done that, By definition, that's a great thing because that's who he is. And he can't do things that aren't great. He can't do things that aren't loving. He can't do things that aren't righteous because none of that's in him. We've said a thousand times we live out of our heart. So when God is showing us his character, what he's saying is if you know who I am, you can trust what I do. Because who I am, that infuses what I do. That's not the same for us. We always 
What's your motive? What's your angle? What are you, what are you trying to get? How are you? We do that with one another because we're corrupt. We're not pure. We're mixed. We're a mixture of all this stuff. He's not that way. What he says is who he is is what we get. So anything that he does is great. So then the question becomes, does he do anything? In your life, has he done any? If I said list it right now, list three things, three great things God has done. Could you come up with three? And if I pushed and pushed and said, there are three places where God has worked in your life. If I think back to our deal, that first story, boom, that's a miracle. And it's a lie. Things a lot of times don't work that way. Our real story, though, if we dig into that, in a sense, it's harder. If you think about all the things God had to do to bring us together. He's got an enemy that he has to contend with who's trying to thwart his will. He's got us who make awful decisions on a regular basis that he has to try to work with. And he can't violate our freedom. He can't reach in there and make me choose to go to Georgia instead of Georgia Tech. He, Misty transferred after two years. Her, and you could even go back from that. Her best friend happened to be the girl that I happened to be leading a small group with. And that was not our choice. That was put together by the campus Minister, and go back even farther than that. We are the same age, and what if my parents had, or her parents? I mean, you can just keep tracing all of these contingencies back for ever, and it's amazing that anything ever gets done according to God's will, isn't it? Think about all of the different variables that have to play together for something as simple as meeting. That we just say, oh, it's just a coincidence. We just happen to be in the same class. They just moved down the street. The job just opened up and I happened to hear about it. Think of all of the things that have to happen for you to get anywhere. Any place that you would say, you know what? I think this is where God has put me. Think of all of the... What we think is somebody shows up on the doorsteps and said, I had a dream and this is it. And those are miracles and we God does that. And we need to... Yes, He does that. And they fill us with awe and joy, and that's wonderful, and you can grab onto those. But most of our life is regular. It's not miraculous. Kind of by definition, miracles are rare. If they happened all the time, we wouldn't call them miracles. We'd call them that's the way things are. So we live regular. And for us, if we don't see regular equals great things, we lose joy. Joy is this state of great delight or happiness rooted in a conscious relationship with God. Knowing God is working in your life is one of the things that keeps you consciously relating to him. A lot of us are practical deists. We think God created everything. He set it in motion. Now he's off messing around with Saturn or something. He's not, he's not here anymore. Or he's in somebody else's life, but not in ours. He does Billy Graham and he does the Pope, and, but he doesn't do us. We just kind of figure he's created us and that's that. We're practical deists and that undercuts joy because we don't see God doing great things. It says he has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. If we don't get that he has done great things for us, it's difficult to be filled with joy because we're not reminded of this. We're not consciously aware of our relationship with God. We just know there's this guy up here and his name's God and maybe Jesus and baby manger 2,000 years ago. That's all we get. That's not enough to keep us joyful through our life. We're not, it doesn't, that's not enough to keep us consciously relating to the Lord. I was thinking about this. 
the Israelites, when they were led out of Exodus, they were in slavery, they were coming out of slavery, they wandered around. No, this is before all that. They wandered out of slavery. The Egyptians are chasing. They get to the Red Sea. It looks like a disaster. What are we going to do? And God just parts it. And they walk across. And then the Egyptians come in and it goes back and they drown. And it's a great day. And they sing and worship and celebrate. And that's a mark in their history. Throughout the Old Testament, you see them referring back to this event. That's a miracle. It's a miracle. Period. Seas don't part. They don't. And, you know, some people will say, well, it wasn't really a sea, it was a marsh, and it was only up to their ankles. Nobody drowns in a marsh up to your ankle. You can't have it both ways. So the sea parted, and they go, and it's a miracle, period. And either you get it or you don't. If God created the whole world, what's the big deal about him separating a sea? So there's this miracle, and it is awe-inspiring, and it fills them with joy, and it happened once. It's only happened once. If that's all they've got, It's going to be difficult for them to maintain that generation after generation after generation, this joy. They've got to get, at some point, the regular stuff are great things because they're done by great gods. The solution is not to lessen what a miracle is. The solution is to, in my opinion, to elevate what we see as regular things and to see those things as great because they're done by a great God and really think about what does it take for any of this stuff to ever work out. Think of one thing in your life that worked out. And then go back and play out all the contingencies that had to happen to see that thing happen. It's amazing how God works. To me, it's easier to part a Red Sea than it is to take two rebellious people and somehow bring them together. And he does that over and over and over again. This is what I want to do. You guys can come back up, the worship team. We're going to do um, two things kind of to close. The first thing we're going to do is these guys are just going to sing a song and y'all don't need to sing. You just kind of listen. And I'm, I'm going to pray for people who maybe are not filled with joy. And we said earlier joy is not an emotion and this song is not, it's not a pep rally song. So it really talks about the fact that the enemy steals stuff from us. And for some of you, what he's stolen is joy over the course of the 2008, maybe before, but over the course of 2008, he's robbed you of joy. And you might say, I got good reason. A business is in the tank or so-and-so died or whatever you've got. There are hard circumstances. And I don't want to make light of those at all. But I do want to say as a Christian, joy is part of your inheritance. You, I want to say in a sense you deserve to be joyful. Not because of who you are but because you're connected with Jesus. And he's done great things. And he's done great things for you. And so during this song I just want you to, I'm going to pray and then I just want you to pray. And if, you, if there are areas of your life where you feel like you've lost your joy or it's been taken, just ask the Lord to restore it to you. And then after that song, I'm going to come back up and uh, lead us in one more prayer, and then we'll close out. So let me pray, and then these guys are going are gonna to sing. God, you say in Zephaniah that you rejoice over us with singing, and I pray as we listen to um, Bo and Andrew and the team worship over us that we would hear your voice God not theirs I pray for any in this room who would say I'm not filled with joy and it's been a long time I pray that this morning you would begin to break in to their life God whatever is going on in their heart if there's a hardness there or a woundedness or whatever is keeping us from experiencing joy I pray that you would deal with that even in these next few minutes and again as they sing over us God I pray we would hear you singing over us, you rejoicing, you delighting.
in us.
Lord, do you want to recognize that you have done great things for us and we can be filled with joy even as we look towards Christmas. That's a great thing. God becoming a man is a great thing. And you did that for us to create the possibility of entering into a relationship with us. Lord, I pray that you give us eyes to see just the regular things that are really great things because they've been done by a great God. God, I think you're much more active than we give you credit for. We Give us eyes to see this week where you're at work. God, that we would recognize the greatness behind all that you do. Verse 4 says this, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those, then verse 5, Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. The Negev's a desert, and uh, it's bone dry most of the year, and there are these dry riverbeds, I think they call them wadis, that are almost always, they're, they're bone dry, there's nothing there, and it rains in the winter, and they fill up, and that's kind of the picture there. The idea is, if we know God has done great things, we can trust him to do great things. So there's a, there's a connection there. I, feel like th- I think this is the third time in four weeks we've kind of hit this same idea of where are you trusting God? Where are you, where am I believing God to do something? Where are we looking for God to be active in our lives? And for some of us, that's a difficult thing because when we look at God's activity, it's not a, the track record doesn't look so hot from where we sit. And what I want to say to you is he has done great things. So you can trust him to do great things, to restore your fortunes. And you might feel like right now you're sowing in tears, and that's fine. But know that you will reap with joy. Not because I'm saying it. Because God is a great God, and he does great things. You can trust him. If your choices are sow in tears or don't sow at all, I would say sow in tears because then you at least have a chance for a harvest. If you don't sow anything, you've got no shot. All you're going to get is nothing. Whatever that means for you, trust him to do great things because he's done great things. If you look at your life and you can't find one, look back to Bethlehem and there's one. There's at least one that he's done. We're going to close in worship. We'll have prayer teams up here in the front if you want prayer. Um, for any reason, we'd be more than happy to pray with you. I'm going to, I'll pray and then we'll sing this song and Bo will cut us loose um, when we're done. Y'all can go ahead and stand up. God, we thank you that you're the same. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can trust you. You're, you're, you're pure. We don't have to worry about your motives. We don't have to worry about what's going on. You've laid it all on the table. You've said you're great. You've said you're loving. You've said you're kind. You're righteous. So we can trust all of those things because that's who you are. And what you do comes out of who you are. And so, God, I pray that you would give us grace to step out, to trust you. God, that we would not hang back out of fear for what might not happen. That we would choose to risk trusting a great God 
to do great things. In Jesus' name, amen.